What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show where the fire movement and real estate investing collide. Today, we are talking with Rob Berger from Forbes and DoughRoller.net. Today, we're talking about how to build an online business, replace your income, and live the life you want to live. That is exactly what Rob did. He started his website, DoughRoller.net, built it up. He wasn't making money at first. Eventually, he made enough to replace his income and leave his day job as a lawyer. Once he was out, he eventually sold the website, and now he works with Forbes, and he helps other people learn about personal finance. This is not exactly what Rob usually talks about. Rob actually blogs and writes about personal finance topics. And today we're actually getting more into Rob's experience, his side of the story in building that business and less so about the personal finance topics that he typically writes about. I find it interesting that there's you know, that there's some overlap there, but there are different lessons and we're getting some lessons from Rob that I don't think you're going to get anywhere else talking to a guy like him. So very excited about this one. I'm excited you tuned in. If you're interested in building that cash flow online, building a business and leaving your job, listen to this interview with Rob Berger. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate, specifically apartment buildings with passive investors and split the return. Love talking about these topics and focusing on success stories, lessons we can pull from them, and how we can apply those to our lives if we're interested in building an online business in this particular case. This is a great interview with Rob. You're going to enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Without any further ado, here we go. Rob, thank you for joining us today. Taylor, thanks for having me. Thrilled to talk with you. You're a fantastic success story. But for those out there who don't know, can you tell us a bit about your background and what you've done over the years? Sure. So I started out sort of a traditional, I guess, career path. I went into college, then I went to law school, started practicing law in Washington, D.C., and and enjoyed that uh, to a point, I guess. Uh, But I think my life started to change, at least career-wise, in 07, uh, when a couple of things were happening. One, I was getting very serious about personal finance and investing and more focused on using money to buy my freedom than to buy expensive watches or whatever. Um, and I started a personal finance blog. At the time, it was just pure hobby. Um, didn't have any idea that I could turn it into a business. And I was up every day, seven days a week, 5 a.m., working on that thing. Uh, and then, you know, went to work during the work the, the week. And, you know, we had two children, so raising the family. And, uh, but it turned into a business. It wasn't overnight. I was an overnight success after like, you know, five years, Uh, but it turned into a full-time business that allowed me to retire from the practice of law when I was in my late 40s. And then that was in 2016. Uh, Then two years later, and I can go into any detail you want, but I sold the business. Again, that was out of the blue. I wasn't trying to sell it, but someone made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I sold, uh, it was actually a couple of websites and a podcast. I'm still the host of the podcast, uh, but I don't own it anymore. And then again, out of the blue, everything happens to me out of the blue. I'm not sure what's up with that. But uh, Forbes asked me, I'd written for Forbes as a contributor for years. I'm still a contributor. But they asked me to come on as as an employee, as a deputy editor to run a section of the website. So I did that for two years and actually just kind of went part time just a couple of months ago. Uh, Turned the reins over to someone else, published a book 
retired before mom and dad during that time. And now I'm on your show. So it's kind of come full circle. And here we are. That's that's great way to way to sum it up. And today I really wanted to dig into that experience of building a successful website because you know that's a goal that a lot of folks have and the market has changed over time. And you gave us a window into your level of commitment when you said you yeah. waking up 5 a.m. seven days a week. And that's very impressive. So tell us about the process of literally running that business because like were you a one man show at that point at the point you sold it? You have a lot of employees like let's go through the whole thing. Yeah, sure. So when I started it, I was absolutely a one man show to begin with. I didn't know any other bloggers. Uh, this was an 07. So blogs, I mean, they were kind of starting to be a thing, but you know, not really. And uh, I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to set up a website. I didn't know how to get traffic to it. I had no concept of how to make money. So, which in, in some odd way was part of the fun. I got to learn all of that stuff. So I'm literally just searching on Google for hours on end about how to do stuff. And I just started publishing content, maybe one article a day and, uh, and learning. And, you know, you fast forward maybe six months. I've been doing this for three or four hours a day while I practice law at the same time. I've made virtually nothing. I think I made $100 my first six months. But I'd learned a lot. And then I started to meet other bloggers, other personal finance bloggers. And, you know, we shared information back and forth and we learned from each other and we helped each other as best we could, whether it's on social media. Of course, back then the social media was different than it is today. Very. Uh, but, you know, same concept, I guess. And just slowly it turned into a business. I think my first full year, I think it made 30000 that would be 2009. And I was thrilled with that. It wasn't like I was going to quit my day job, but it's like, wow, this is, you know, this is pretty, pretty neat, but it was slow. I kind of, you know, I, I sort of go through that first say year and a half quickly, but, but when you're living it, you know, you have no idea how this thing is going to end and you're putting in a lot of time and effort. And, you know, there were times when I wanted to quit, but by the full second year, it, you know, it made a full-time income. And, and, and so at that point I knew this was, I was in it for the long haul. And by that point I started hiring some help. I started off with some freelance writers so I didn't have to produce all the content. And as the site grew, I eventually hired sort of a, a, a managing editor. And at one point, you know, by the time I sold it, I had someone running all of the, the advertising on the site for me, which is more than just lining up advertisers. Since I'm in the finance space, it was also compliance. I had to make sure that you know, if I said a bank account paid 1%, you know, it better, it, that better be accurate. So, you know, there were a lot of compliance issues that have to be dealt with. And I had probably half a dozen writers and a managing uh, editor. So, yeah, that was kind of what it looked like when I sold it. And it was, you know, it was getting a lot of traffic and, and generating a nice income and had a couple other sites along with it that were doing well, but both in the, per all in the personal finance space. And then I had the Dole Roller Money podcast and uh, it was doing very well. It wasn't monetized, but it was, uh, it was a way to sort of get the name of the site out there and to build a community. And uh, yeah, that's what it looked like when I sold it in 2018. That is fantastic. And I'm glad you brought up some of the, at least the avenues of monetization that you found and were successful. That's one of the things I wanted to make sure we touched on were, is it just advertising? Is it affiliate type relationships? I mean, I, I don't, I, and now with ad block on nearly everybody's computer, I mean, how many ads are we really seeing? How lucrative is that? So 
what are the kind of the routes that bloggers go to bring in those it's dollars? a great question so i kind of put it in a couple of a couple of buckets the first would be like you said affiliate links so that's you're, you're effectively selling someone else's product but it's not through banner ads it's through direct link so as an example amazon has an affiliate program so i can uh, or anyone that's part of the program can link to just about anything Amazon sells with a special affiliate link and you'll make a percentage if someone clicks through and, and, and buys something, right? Uh, but there's, I mean, there's affiliate relationships in every industry. And, uh, and so that's, that's one approach and probably the approach that made me the most money. But then there is, you know, banner ads can actually be still be very lucrative, particularly in, in spaces where, the affiliate uh, offers aren't, aren't as robust. Or you could have some content on your site that just doesn't lend itself to an affiliate relationship, but still gets a lot of traffic. And you, know, you can find that banner ads, uh, like Google AdSense, for example, can still do, do very well, even with the ad blockers. Um, and then, uh, so that, those are sort of two buckets. And then the third one would be, and this is not really something I did, but it's been profitable for a lot of folks, and that is selling your own products, right? So, you know, you can think about informational products, which I always, the red flag always goes up for me, but there are some really good ones out there. Uh, and folks have written some really good content and, and created some really good online courses that help people in whatever it could be helping them become a better photographer or helping them with their finances uh, or helping them understand affiliate marketing, for example. And uh, that can be very lucrative as well. The one thing I'll say is regardless of which of those you, you, you use, maybe use all of them. You got to have traffic. I mean, none of this is going to work without traffic. And the best traffic, by and large, is from search engines. Yeah, social media traffic can be great. You can buy traffic. Uh, obviously, that can be lucrative, but that's a whole other yeah, sort of thing to learn. Uh, but for me, search engine optimization, SEO, search engine traffic uh, was what drove most of the traffic and revenue, and it turned out to be very lucrative. I guess to what degree or, or say how many clicks or users or whatever do you need to like at a minimum start being viable as a blog? I mean, one, one click a month's not going to do it for you even no. if you have the best link in the world, right? Right. It's a great question and it's important to understand that there's no one answer to it. And the reason is take someone that's got 5,000 visitors a month and you say, well, how much revenue could that generate? Well, let's imagine one site is a, a, a lending site and they talk about student loans, mortgages, maybe credit cards, and another site, a great site, but they do book reviews, and uh, they both get 5,000 visitors. Uh, but for better or worse, for good or bad, uh, the lending site, the finance site, is gonna make a lot more money. It's just because there's just more money to be made uh, in that space than in book reviews. So, uh, and, and the difference is gonna be night and day. So it really depends on uh, the topic. But for example, I mentioned 5,000 visitors. Certainly, you can make decent money with 5,000 visitors uh, a month, which is not, of course, not much. Uh, it's, it's a lot, by the way, when you're starting out, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But in terms of scaling up, you know, I think my site may have, I don't know, between half a million and a million visitors a month, I would say, when I sold it roughly, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, but even at 5,000 visitors when you're just starting out if you've got the right topics you're going to make the money that you know will certainly begin to change your life i mean maybe not overnight but it'll have a big impact on your budget and you'll start enjoying it and you'll grow it from there 
I guess at what point do you, you know, we're, especially when you're kind of in that early stage, right? You said initially you're making like a hundred bucks and it's, it's hard to not see that in at least looking for me outside. It's hard to not see that as what am I doing with my time here? Unless you're just having such a great time waking up at 5am to write the content, build the site. I mean, you've got kids, you have hobbies, you know, other things that you could be investing your time in. So where does that, how, how does that factor in? Like, did you have like a long-term goal and are you seeing that most people kind of getting into it or having that long-term goal or is it just like a passion project for most, most people? I do think it helps if you enjoy what you're doing because <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're certainly going to get to a point where you say, what in the world am I spending my time on this for? I mean, I call it the flywheel effect. You know, flywheel is really hard to get moving. Once you get it moving, it's kind of hard to stop it, right? It's like trying mm-hmm. to stop one of those uh, if you do cycling, you know, um, uh, once you get the, the stationary bike moving, it's kind of hard to stop it, at least with your feet. You know, investing, by the way, is the same way. You start putting away 100 bucks a month and three months later, you've got, well, $300. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, what, what's going on here? I'm not making any progress. But if you give it enough time, eventually the compounding effect kicks in. Uh, and I found it to be the same way. I mean, there certainly were times when I thought, boy, is this right for me? Should I keep doing this? But I always, I just, I hung on long enough to have some kind of win, you know, some kind of good day, uh, a, a burst of traffic, whatever it might be that said, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hooked. And it kind of kept me going. And, you know, there are certainly plateaus. There are times when it feels like the site's not getting better. I'm not getting more traffic. I'm kind of stuck. Um, and actually, just to show you this, this is totally unrelated, but I finished this book called Mastery by George Leonard. Um, I would highly recommend it. It's a great book, but he talks about the goalless journey, these journeys where you try to get better at something, but you don't have a specific goal in mind. He actually talks a lot about the plateau. The plateau seems to be the thing we don't want, right? We don't want a plateau. We want to keep moving upward, uh, but it just doesn't work that way. And it's actually during the plateaus that maybe we learn the most. It just doesn't feel like we are. And it's easy to see in hindsight. It's not so easy to see when you're on the journey, I suppose. But when I look back, those times when the site didn't seem to be getting better uh, were probably the most important uh, uh, times in the site's development because I was just, okay, let's forget about specific goals. Let's just buckle down and write good content and promote the site. And when I tried to tune everything else out and do that, uh, eventually you'd see, you know, maybe months down the road, it won't happen overnight, but you eventually start to see the site grow. Interesting. So, I mean, I'm very much curious how you're writing about personal finance your and that's been your your brand and then coincidentally writing about personal finance is helping your personal finances right but but i've found that a lot of the content out there writing about personal finance reading about personal finance it's not most people aren't telling you to go start a blog and start making money or start a side hustle and go start making money off of it, blog or not, whatever it is. Most of it's put money away by the S&P 500, whatever, kind of fairly passive investing type of advice. And I wonder how does that, your experience of being a successful side hustler factor into the actual, you know, advice and content that you generate and, and you know, what's the overlap there, if that makes sense? 
Yeah, that's another great question. And a lot of personal finance bloggers do talk about how to make money online. I've written about it off and on a little bit. And there have been times when I thought, you know, I'm going to start a brand new site and that's all it's going to be focused on helping people build an online business. But, you know, it takes so much time and effort and I have to sort of pick and choose what I want to do. Um, and the other thing I've learned is that uh, at least the most people that I interact with aren't going to do, aren't interested in st starting an online business. It, it sounds good. It's like being a professional golfer. It sounds like a good thing. <laughs> You know, you think, you know, but then again, do, do you want to spend your entire life, you know, in sand trap practicing, which is really what it takes. So, uh, you know, with an online business, you know, most people don't want to get up at five in the morning, seven days a week. Most people don't, you know, want to come home from work and then sit at a laptop and do more work. And I get that, you know, it's not for everybody. Uh, it, it worked for me. It works for some people. But, you know, I know you do a lot in real estate. So some people might prefer to buy a duplex, live in one half and rent the other half out and then eventually move on from there and keep building their real estate empire. It's just another, you know, totally different way to, to, to build wealth, but, but certainly a valid one. So, yeah, I have kind of made a, a decision where I just don't spend a lot of my time writing about the online business world, you know, maybe that'll change uh, in the future, but it, yeah, it's just kind of a choice. You know, I, I tend to write a lot about retirement, retirement investing, uh, and that sort of thing, which to say it, it doesn't sound nearly as sexy as an online business. Maybe I should rethink this strategy. Well, it, you know, it is what it is. I think that is a great insight that most people aren't going to leave work and then go sit at their laptop for the rest of the night, trying to hammer out content because it's, it's very, very hard to do. And people have, you know, lives that they want to go live and not everybody wants to be a blogger. Now you, you build this successful business. You're in the middle of building this successful business. And in those plateaus, were any of them related to running out of your own time? Because it sounds like, especially at the beginning, you were using all of your time that you had available and maybe a little, more than that. And at, at some point you run out, right? So you yeah. mentioned you started hiring people, but did you have to learn that lesson the hard way to start hiring others and just be like, man, I can't get all this done? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of forced on me. At one point I had a really large trial. I was a trial attorney and you know, it's, you know, your preparation time in, in the months leading up to this trial and then the trial itself, I just simply couldn't continue to run the site. It wasn't possible. So I sort of turned it over to uh, a managing editor for months. And uh, I think some good things came out of that, some not good things came out of that. And part of what I had to learn was how to manage people and how to make sure my vision for the site is still there and affecting and, and uh, motivating all of the content, even when I'm not necessarily there to watch it. And I, I, frankly, I still don't know that I've mastered, mastered that. But uh, I got, I guess, good enough at it to, to keep the site going. Uh, but yeah, so part of it was just out of necessity. And I ended up trading, you know, money to pay people to do things for my time. And even when that particular trial was over and I had more time on my hands, there were just some things I just didn't want to do anymore. <laughs> and, you know, and I could just pay someone to do it. And so I think in the end, getting different perspectives on the site made the site better. And so I think it worked out pretty well. Interesting. So 
that's a the interesting circumstance that got you into that case. Yeah. Are you going to hire somebody? Um, and you mentioned that there were some managerial lessons you had to yeah. learn along the way. And I'm sure you also said you're, I don't know, implied that you still have some ground to go in terms of improving yeah. that, but I'm sure you know a lot and you've learned a lot and maybe, you know, what are some of those lessons that you had to learn the hard way? Well, the first thing, the first thing I learned is you can't hire someone and just say, like, if you want to hire a writer, you can't hire a writer and then just say, hey, go write for me. It doesn't work. Uh, you're not going to get what you want, or you're going to end up hiring someone who may, who may give you what you want, but is extremely expensive. And so, uh, you know, I learned to, I actually did things such as create what I called content recipes. So I said, you're going to write this kind of content, and here's an example of exactly what I want. Uh, and now you just need to go follow this recipe but you're going to write about you know this financial product instead of that one or this personal finance uh, topic rather than that one but it needs to look like this and checklists so i would use checklists that say okay when you're done you need to run through this checklist whether you're writing the article or, or uploading it to wordpress which was the platform we used uh, to publish because you know there's a lot of seo issues that go into that for each article and you know, have you have you tested and looked at ten different headlines? Do you have the H two headings correct? And I, I don't know if I'm getting into technical stuff. Not that technical, but not at all. Uh, yeah, you know, have you have you done the right things from an SEO perspective? So a combination of content recipes and checklists uh, helped a lot. And and the other thing was, I realized I had to work with people. I couldn't just set them loose. So I had to spend a lot of time with them up front. Uh, to get them to a place where they could then operate on their own. Again, you know, I, was, I hadn't mastered any of this, just so you know. Uh, but I had learned, and I think I started to get, I think I was starting to get much better at it right when I sold everything. So now, now I don't have to really worry about it. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, you you got as good at it, clearly, as good at it as you needed to be, which yeah. is really what matters, is right. getting as good as you need to be. Now, you're, you're out of that business, you've moved on, but it, you're still involved in the space. And I'm sure seeing newer bloggers come up and getting started, uh, times have changed considerably over the last 13 years since you got started. But what are your thoughts about for those out there starting today? What should they be doing to, if they want to build a, a personal blog and turn it into their successful side hustle? What are some yeah. things to consider? Well, the first thing would be what your topic's going to be. It certainly doesn't have to be about finance, uh, but you want to have some sense uh, as to the potential for the topic, which th that could be a whole, we could probably spend an hour talking about that. <laughs> anything related to money can be profitable. Anything related to health uh, could be profitable. But, you know, I mean, for example, there are folks that run, I mentioned photography, I think, digital photography uh, websites that have, product reviews and how to's and uh, that can be very lucrative. You know, you certainly you could have a product review site that uh, depending on the product could be very lucrative, but pick, picking the topic, both you, you want to focus of course on the business side, but then you also want to, I think, focus on your own personal interests as well, because there's going to be times when you're not going to feel like <laughs> working on this thing and it's going to help at least if you have some interest in the topic and then uh, learn as much as you can. And I would do that just by researching, Googling. I wouldn't, go out and buy a course, at least not to begin with. The, the issue there is it's not that there aren't good courses, but I think people 
can do that as a way of feeling productive. Okay, I'm making progress, I'm taking this course, and really all you're doing is avoiding the real work. Um, recognize you're not gonna have all the answers, and you're gonna make mistakes, but you just gotta start publishing content and promoting it. And um, the, you know, I know this is sort of high level advice and, and you know, but work to meet as many people in the business as you can meet. So you know, reach out to other bloggers, even in your own niche or vertical, uh, competitors even, and, and get to know them. You know, once, you've, once you're up and running and once we're out of COVID-19, go, <laughs> go to a conference or two every year. I mean, I went to FinCon, which is the Personal Finance Bloggers Conference. I've been to every one. And that's been incredibly beneficial. I mean, I've met, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bloggers, hundreds of advertisers. Uh, you know, I, as an example, so I'm a big Vanguard fan. And um, uh, I've had several representatives from Vanguard on my podcast. I, I see them every year at FinCon. And just from getting to know them, you know, they invited me to publish an article on the Vanguard blog, which it was published just a couple of weeks ago. And it has a, a link to my site, robberger.com. Now, that's not overnight going to generate anything for me, but that's, that's a good kind of relationship to develop that came about because of a conference. So, you know, when I think about advantages, my own personal advantages, if I were going to start something from scratch today, uh, it's the relationships that I have with other bloggers, other businesses, you know, folks like, you know, the good folks at Forbes. Um, and those just take time. But it's important that you think about that. And I didn't at first. To me, I was just a loner in my basement publishing content. Didn't occur to me I should like, you know, come out into the light of day and actually meet someone, right, in the, in the, in the blogging world. Uh, but once I did, it, I learned a lot, you know, made great friendships, uh, and it just makes it more fun. So I guess that's sort of a, a rambling answer to your question. No, I mean, it's a, I think it's the most honest answer. It's a, the first things that come to mind yeah. for you, which I think are um, indicative. Now, I wonder, I think the, the business of blogging has obviously become a lot bigger over the years yeah. since you got started. There are bigger players, bigger money in the game. And probably, I would guess, there are larger companies or maybe investors looking to invest in blogs. I mean, what do you see there? Just, you know, out of curiosity, um, are, are folks yeah. <laughs> investing in blogs? Absolutely. I mean, big, big companies are buying blogs. I mean, Lending Tree has bought, you know, they bought Roth IRA. I think they bought Roth IRA.com. No, no, no. They did. They bought Compare Cards. They bought, um, I think, Student Loan Hero. I think Investopedia maybe bought Roth IRA.com, if I remember correctly. I mean, that's nothing new. Big companies have been buying uh, blogs since uh, maybe 2010. Uh, and I've in turn, by the way, bought some of those blogs back from the big companies, right? Interesting. Um, because big companies don't always take care of what they buy. Uh, but uh, some do. And, but, you know, so yeah, there's a lot of money. You know, there's an investment banking is involved in this at times. You know, it, it depends on, on the site, but I would say most companies are looking for sites that are generating a million dollars or more a year in revenue. There are going to be exceptions to that for sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, buying blogs is a big business. And it's, you know, I know blogs now that are, are in the process of being sold. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's cash flow. 
and uh, companies want that. You know, if they can buy, particularly a public company, you think a public company trading at 15 times earnings, if they can buy a site for 5X, uh, I mean, that's just, a, you know, a great deal for them, even if the overhead for them is a little higher to run that site than it was for the individual blogger. So, yeah, definitely a market for blogs, no question about it. That is that is so interesting that those blogs generate enough cash flow uh, to be <laughs> to be interesting. It's crazy. Now, you also said that big companies do a can do a bad job of you know managing whatever, taking care of the the blog. So, what are the mistakes that uh, they make? Well, the, I don't know if it's so much a mistake per se, um, and I think it's changed. I haven't seen it as much recently, but mm. back in the day, I think they would they would buy a lot of blogs. And then, you know, they get to a point where it just, you know, a given blog might make a million dollars a year, but for a large company, it may not be worth investing a lot of time into that particular web property. So over time, you know, they kind of let it uh, run down and um, that still happens. Um, and there are buying opportunities for sure. I'm, uh, you know, if I, if I were more, I suppose, motivated, I'd be looking to buy sites now. Although... With interest rates, asset values are kind of high. That's a whole other topic. But um, when interest rates are so low, asset values are high. So, you know, I'm not sure if now is the best time to buy. Um, but yeah, there are certainly opportunities out there. And sometimes big companies, you know, they just decide at some point, you know, not to invest the time in a, in a web property that they've, they've spent money on. You know, they're just making a strategic decision. Wow. That is fascinating. I love that this is a business and we're able to talk about this today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Rob, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, certainly, the, if you call it an investment, the best investment was starting my blog. It cost me $10. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But if I went outside of that and just looked at actual, what you might think of as investments, certainly, I, I, I'll, I'm going to give you two. I don't know if that breaks the rules. Uh, investing in HUD foreclosures, I, and I bought HUD foreclosures, single family properties uh, in 05 to 08. That was a very good investment. We rehabbed them, rented them for years. I've since sold them. But, and then uh, I'll mention Apple, uh, since they're going to release their earnings. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know when this will be published, but they're going to release their earnings tomorrow. Um, I bought Apple stock in uh, thirteen uh, in 2013, I think 18 and 19 at, at levels much, much, much lower. So that worked out. Um, <laughs> but I have a feeling you're going to ask me what my worst investment was. <laughs> you are exactly right. Now we had the best investment. We move on to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? So again, strictly investments. I actually, do I have to say, I'm not sure I want to admit this. Your interpretation. I invested in Blockbuster as a turnaround. Oh boy. Yeah. Now the good news is it wasn't much money, uh, but it convinced me I'm a value investor. When I invested in Apple, it was a value stock. It's certainly a growth, considered a growth stock now given its PEs and whatnot. But uh, I dabbled in maybe turnaround opportunities and Blockbuster when I invested in it was a turnaround opportunity that never turned. <laughs> so that, would, that didn't work out so well. Wow. So that was that kind of at the time frame where Netflix is starting to grow and yeah. starts going yeah, they, down? They had this thing called DVDs in the mail and then they had this thing called streaming. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, yeah, Blockbuster just didn't, uh, I like to say that if Blockbuster, if that industry were government run, 
Blockbuster would still be going gangbusters. Right? <laughs> uh, and my investment would have paid off handsomely. But unfortunately, uh, the free market uh, got the better of me. And yeah, I didn't do so well. Oh, man. Well, still, we all like our streaming services. My yes, favorite question my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? So I mentioned it earlier and it's the flywheel. It's this idea that you've got to put a lot of time and effort into something before you really see the results. When you hear someone's story in a 30 minute podcast, it, it kind of seems so easy. We did this, he did that. And wow, 10 years later, uh, it's not easy. And it's a lot of times it's not fun. Uh, and, but I found that if I keep at it, and it's not just in business and investing, you know, uh, working out, you know, I was in terrible shape 10 years ago, uh, bad back the whole bit. I, you know, I'm probably 40 pounds lighter today than Great. I was then and in much better shape, but it didn't happen overnight and it wasn't always fun. And so I kind of try to re remind myself of that when I'm starting something new and it's not going so well. Uh, you got to be patient and you just got to keep pushing against the flywheel. Eventually it's going to start moving. Nice. I love that. Thank you for everything today. If folks want to learn more, they want to get in touch with you. They want to learn about your blog, what you got going on. Where can they find you? Best place is just robberger.com. It's R-O-B-B-E-R-G-E-R.com. Best place to find me. Great. Well, thanks once again. I really appreciate that. You're a, I love hearing success stories and you are one of the best ones I've heard so far. So I love it. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great day and a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.